Love is stinking up the joint this week. <laughs> Love stinks. Jay Giles Band, which doesn't even feature Jay Giles anymore. He's not even in the band. Somehow That's just odd. They keep his name. It's like Leonard Skinner wasn't a real guy or something. <laughs> Pause for effect. <laughs> Welcome. This is the Fright Club Podcast. I'm Hope Madden. And I'm George Wolf, and we're from madwolf.com. Hit it up for all your movie reviews. This week, we've got a couple of a couple of big new releases. The Birth of a Nation, good. And The Girl on the Train, not so good. But you can always find the latest movie releases there. And you know we love that horror stuff, as we're right here every week on the Fright Club podcast. And love is stinking because it's all about the, the trouble in paradise, the marital problems. It is. Today. But before we get to that, we got a lot of feedback and a lot of late feedback on the overrated horror show from last week. Yeah, and you know, it's funny because we were wondering what would get the most angry response. And so as as the week wound to an end, you were right. A lot of people were unhappy that The Omen made the list. Thank you. Rick Knight chimed in. I think this is the first time that he has chimed in. But then our good friend, uh, Dr. Neil McRoberts, he also, and he had a funny tweet because he posted a picture of Mrs. Blaylock. He said, Mrs. Blaylock <laughs> judges you. So he, they both You'll disagree. be lucky that's all she does. That's right. And a couple of other people. You know, though, the one that I didn't think would get so much backlash was Saw. Yeah, Saw. A lot of people were unhappy to see Saw on there. And in particular, our... Senior filmmaker correspondent Jason Tostevin, who yeah. rightly pointed out that it was a very important film for filmmakers, for the horror genre. Right. And I can't argue with that. No. Um, but that's not what really we were talking about. And I can see how he'd, he'd come at it from that angle. He's a filmmaker. Right. But um, and that's, yeah, no argument there from a quality standpoint, from a storytelling standpoint. We were not fans. We got a few backups. I know Brandon, he, he, yeah. he agreed. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the fil- film has its fans, which is to be. Expected, I think, because it made a billion dollars. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, a million sequels. (laughs) Thank you for all the all the feedback. We figured that would be a a good one, a good conversation starter. Anytime you say something is overrated. So thank you for that. As always, we welcome the feedback, especially when, as you mentioned last week, people start going at each other (laughs) back and forth on Twitter in a fun way. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. And sometimes it's it's hilarious. So thank you for that. Always on Twitter. At Mad Wolf, M A D D W O L F. And that leads us into talking about our next Fright Club Live, which is coming up very soon, coming up on the 12th. And we're going to be right back at Gateway Film Center, High Street in Columbus, Ohio. We're going to, we are going to talk about the best zombie comedies. Exactly. And then we're going to watch Juan of the Dead. Juan of the Dead. Cuba's only zombie movie. Or first. Is it still the their first? Well, it's definitely their first zombie movie. And I'm going to say for time forever, their best. It's such a great movie. It is so much fun. Because uh, we have to admit that the last couple of months, I think, were hard on the Fright Clubbers. They were. They're great movies. But maybe not back to back. Martyrs and Eden Lake. They're That's, brutal. It's tough stuff. Yeah. Tough stuff. So, so we're, we're going to lighten up. Lighten it up. Have some laughs. Have some fun horror laughs with Juan of the Dead. Although... I mean, I just want to warn you, if you think it's strictly, there's, it's very bloody. Yeah. It's a body, bloody zombie comedy. It's a ton of fun. Yeah, not, not punishing like the last not two. Not at all, no. Yeah, so please come out. We start, as always, in the uh, torpedo room, a little happy hour, about 6.30. Hopefully, we will still have some Mad Wolf Pale Ale on tap. Ooh. Come out and try it. As I've said before, and I'll say it again, it tastes like excellence. <laughs> 
Uh, and then we head in about 7.30 to the theater and we tape the podcast live, which, you know, depending on how many Mad Wolves we have, could go just all sorts of ways. <laughs> one of them's bound to be right. And then we show One of the Dead about 8 o'clock. So it's a lot of fun. And the Gateway has so many things going on in October for Halloween. <gasps> so many so things. So you just, you know, you just stumble past there. You're bound to have a great time. So come on out. Again, that is October the 12th, our next Fright Club Live with One of the Dead. And uh, what else is going on? Do we take care of all the biz? Well, you know what? Originally, we were going to do When Animals Attack this week. And I kind of feel bad because we were going to do it the first time. We were going to do it like a month or more ago. And we keep postponing it. But it's just because the you saw Possession on the big screen recently. Mm-hmm. And you thought, we should do one about, you know, divorce and marital troubles. And so we kind of jumped on that. But I know that this is going to be a disappointment to both Knack Mac and our good friend Corey Metcalf because they were going back and forth on Twitter trying to give us some ideas. But uh, for soon. animals, yeah. for animals attack soon. Yeah. It's on the back burner. It's there. It's a great idea. We'll get to it. But uh, let's start with marital problems number five. And this one, I got to be honest, this one was a surprise to me that you would put that put this one on this list. Not that I don't like it. I just didn't think about it off the top of my head for this category. And it's from 1992 Candyman. Do I know you? No. No. But you doubted me. I'm sorry, I have to go. No need to leave yet. But I'm late. You are not content with the stories, so I was obliged to come. Be my victim. Be my victim. I am the writing on the wall, the whisper in the classroom. Without these things, I am nothing. So now I must shed innocent blood. Come with me. You know, it's funny, we were just talking about this movie for a totally different reason. Um, We were invited on another great podcast, which I think you'll join me in saying we need to be on more podcasts. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But Vince and Grant from the In the Record Store podcast, great guys. Uh, They're here in town in Columbus, and we got with them. They invited us in to talk about our top 10 movie scores yeah, or movie scores and themes. So we had a bunch of fun doing that. And we're going to return the favor. We're going to have them on because it was Grant in particular, who's a big horror movie fan. Yes. So we're going to have them on and return the favor uh, with the in the record store guys. But So we were talking about our favorite horror movie themes and Candyman was on the list because Philip Glass can't go wrong, you know, composed this really gothic atmospheric score. And uh, it was one of the things actually he was disappointed in it. He, I guess he was thought he was kind of misled on the type of movie it would be. I see. And he withheld the rights, I think, for a while, but uh, withheld this consent of a release of the score, of the recording, uh, until about 2001. But anyway, that's getting off the track. We love the score. We love the movie. And, you know, what's the background of why did you think it belonged on, on this category? Because I didn't really think of it off the top of my head. Well, because, so the movie is basically a romance of sorts, right? And for, it's it's almost, you know, like a vampire film where the vampire always sort of seduces mm-hmm. the, the, the main victim, right? And for that to work in this particular case, the heroine sort of has to be available 
maybe disgruntled. You know, I, I, I think that that the fact that her marriage is failing is Virginia Madsen and she plays Helen and she's married to Xander Berkeley, who is a college professor. She's getting her uh, she's doing research for a, for a thesis um, and he is philandering with nubile coeds canoodling canoodling and you know and i think that uh you know virginia madison is a very strong actor and she does a great job um and uh, so i feel like if it were not for the fact that she had an unhappy marriage then i don't think that the rest of the plot would have worked okay so you think that made her susceptible to the candy man and also it gave her um so the climax of the film right he he comes 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 back to the unhappy marriage mm-hmm. and and so again it's 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 maybe an understated part of the film but it's pivotal. Okay, yeah, because it very much is that gothic seduction, the the Dracula type, the vampire right. type seduction, very much so. In fact, you can definitely hear it in that clip that we just played. Uh, it's very it's almost like. She's under a spell. She's hypnotized. Yeah, a little bit. But I mean, um, I mean, obviously, a great deal of of it has to be credited to Tony Todd's oh. performance and that voice. Oh, yeah. Right. I mean, nobody can it deliver can lines. Yes, yeah. exactly. You they, know, but but I feel like it's uh, she's attracted to this because of what she has at home. And uh, Clive Barker wrote the story. That yes. This was based mm-hmm. on. And also. The actress. I forgot about this last time we talked about this because we've talked about this movie a couple of times. Um, Casey Lemons, actress Casey Lemons, plays the best friend. Yeah. And she's gone on. She was, of course, the friend in The Silence of the Lambs. Yes. And since then, she's gone on really to be a director. Mm. She's directed a few movies since then. I think she's pretty much got out of, of acting and is mainly a director now. But yeah, she popped up again as the best friend. Always the good best friend. Yes, you need she a good is. Best friend. <laughs> best friend character. So uh, Candyman is number five on our list of marital problems horror. And that leads us up to uh, 1982 and just one of the segments in Creepshow. No, this is going to be an entirely new experience. What are you doing? Henry, let go of me! Henry! What's going on? The lamb's the other way. The lamb, yes, but uh, the the girl is under the stairs, Billy. Uh, where do you see? That that's what's so funny. The girl has crawled under the stairs, and she won't come out. Oh, Henry! Those funny sounds. What did he do to her? It's funny to me that this that this movie has come up on two different podcasts now because I'm actually not a huge fan of the film as a whole. Yeah, me, um, me either. I, I, I'm not sad to say I dislike it, but um, a lot of times, uh, especially in sort of an anthology format, short horror doesn't grab me. And in a lot of cases, in several of the cases in this particular a compilation, they did not grab me. But George Romero directed it. Stephen King wrote it. So obviously there's a there's a great pedigree there. And um, this movie or this this short, the crate, it just seemed like it. It was required for this particular list. And it's got that silly looking monkey monster. (laughs) I mean, talk about a guy in a suit. (laughs) It reminded me of the ape in Trading Places. (laughs) That it, that it ends up attacking uh, Paul, Gle- not trading places in uh, yeah trading, trading places. places yeah that ends up attacking Paul Gleason at the yeah. end. I mean that's a that's quite a suit. 
Well, I mean, it's a campy movie, you know, so yeah. it's, yeah, I mean, it's done intentionally, of course, but, you know, at the heart of it, Hal Holbrook is is the lead in right. this particular segment. I mean, obviously, a very, very talented actor, you know, and he plays a college professor in in England. Everybody's very buttoned down and, and their clothes are all very beige, and, and he, for whatever reason, is married to this just tawdry, you know, garish woman named Adrian, played by Adrian Barbeau. Her name and she is just... She just berates him. Well, she's a drunk, you know, and it's as it starts off, she she kind of, um, you know, she picks at him in a somewhat loving way, but in a big group setting. Somewhat. But the the more, yeah, the more she drinks, the more outlandish her behavior becomes, the more embarrassed he becomes. And on it and and one in the great early scene, it's sort of a, you know, a party. The more embarrassed his colleagues obviously are for him. Um, and it's and, and it's the kind of 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 broad acting that, uh, you know, might seem really forced and fake, except that Hal Holbrook is just so good. Yeah. Yeah, he is. And when he's trying to get her into that little crawl space. Yeah. So the so the monster can attack her. Just... Yeah. I mean, if you're not familiar with the story, you know, his colleague discovers this cr- Somebody else discovered the crate. But anyway, comes to him with news of this crate of this monster that's underneath a staircase back on campus. And um, Hal Holbrook decides that maybe the monster is hungry for Wilma. (laughs) (laughs) Wilma! And since Adrian Barbeau was married to John Carpenter, if you notice, the crate has shipped to Julie Carpenter from Arctic Expedition on it. So kind of a a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And that is the... Was that the... Last of the segments in in Creep Show, the you know, third. I, I honestly can't remember. I can't remember either. Um, it's one of the segments. We feel <laughs> we feel pretty confident in saying that it's, it's in the film. It's one of the segments from Creep Show, and it's the crate number four on our list of marital problems in horror. And number three is one we talked about a couple of months ago because mm-hmm. this was included in one of the Fright Club Lives. Yeah, right? the, watch the original, not the remake. Oh yes, definitely qualifies the original. Diabolique from 1955. Ce n'est pas une histoire de fou, c'est une histoire diabolique. The original Diabolique was an early example of a film that had a disclaimer at the end, it urging the audience not to give away any spoilers. Which is, which is, you know, is a great idea because so way before the Sixth Sense, right? Diabolique was doing it. You know, because it is, it's a mystery, you know, thriller. It's it's beautifully filmed in black and white. Mm-hmm. It's it's really 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 well developed. And and the you know it's not one of those things that that relies on a single twist. I mean there are many twists with that within the film. They all pay off. They all make sense. They're not really red herrings exactly. It's a really really beautifully written film. Yeah, and it's 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 based on a novel. And it's basically it's the wife of a, a cruel headmaster and his myth and then his mistress. They conspire to kill him, but then after. The murder is committed, his body disappears, and some strange events begin to plague the two women. So there's all sorts of mysteries. Yeah, it's, it's again, it's just really well-developed, because for a long time, 
you know, you're under the impression that is it is it a supernatural film, you know, and they never completely resolve that, which I like. There are also a lot more twists happening than you may think are happening. But just, you know, it's funny, just the so it's a it's a trio, right? Christina and it's her money. Her husband is the cruel headmaster, headmaster, excuse me. And his his mistress is another teacher at the school. But they're very open. Everybody knows the three of them are all aware of what's happening. They're all aware of what's going on. And so they're sort of team up in different ways. Well, yeah. And in the original novel, there was a, a lesbian relationship right. between the two women that this movie left out. Right. I'm sorry that they did leave it out because I think that it, you know, it balances things. You well, know, it was 1955. It, right. You know. But it, but it does. It would, it would balance sort of the three sides of the triangle. Yeah. And, um, uh, but even without it, the movie is incredibly strong. The performances are great again. It looks great, and um, it's written so just beautifully that you are, even if you've seen it, and even if you know how it's going to end up, or if you've, God forbid, seen the original and and know how it's going to end up, you're still thrilled you mean, the entire mean, time. Oh, excuse me, seen, you've the seen the remake. The, yeah, I've yeah. seen the remake. Pardon. <laughs> The one um, with uh, Sharon Stone yeah. and uh, Chaz Palminteri. Right. right. Not not up to snuff. No. But uh, yeah, the original. It looks great. It is has that great black and white. It also has, you can really see um, that it had to have influenced Hitchcock. Uh, because, it, because he, I guess, as the story goes, he wanted the rights to this movie. He wanted to make it himself. And he remained a big fan of the movie. And I think you can tell there's some shades of Psycho in there. And just some overall Hitchcock shadings. Yeah, it's the same director who did um, Eyes Without a Face, which is one yeah. of my favorite awesome. French horror films of all time. And uh, and and you know, I, I'm I'm sure it would have been outstanding had Hitchcock made it, obviously. But yeah. but I love the way it was made. There's a lot more character development than what you normally see in a Hitchcock film. It's just sort of it's very kind of misty. You know, it's 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 uh, the look of it is is dreamy. And um, which really suits it because not only of the mystery, but because of the supernatural overtones to the film. And, and actually Hitchcock, he ended up with a, a, a good kind of consolation prize because after he missed out on this movie, the two uh, writers of the novel, they teamed up and wrote another uh, story specifically for Hitchcock. And it became the movie Vertigo. Nice. So, <laughs> yeah, kind of a nice, <laughs> a nice consolation prize. But you're right. It's it's so. Um, it's so well done in this in the class. I think black and white serves it so well. It really, I I agree with you 100. percent One of the things I think it gets really right is the way that um, Christina, who's played by Vera Cloud, who was married to the director, um, the way she's portrayed. She's the wife, and she's fragile, but she's she's not brittle. And she's you you recognize that she's being underestimated, but at the same time, she doesn't come off as being wily at all. Mm -hmm. She's a really sympathetic and interesting character, which I think is is kind of hard to do, given the type of character that she is, which is, you know, the frail wife who's who's being cheated on. Um, And 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 she's unusual right from the get go, because she is friends with the woman who is sleeping with her husband. Uh, it's, um, I, I mean, all three characters are really well done. And Michelle, the husband, he, he's also compelling enough that you almost understand why both of these women are with him, regardless of the fact that the money isn't his. Right. And the way, the way her character is, I think helps for you not to be suspicious of any of the twists 
and any of the surprises. I think it's not made apparent because like a movie we just saw, uh, The Girl on the Train, some of those twists are very easy to pick out. And in this, they're not. And I think part of that, part of the problem with Girl on the Train is that they do not invest in the other lead characters. Right. It's really all about the Emily Blunt Rachel character, and it's not about anybody else, and that's not the case here. Exactly, exactly. And it's always, you know, better definition of all characters. And it doesn't necessarily mean screen time. You can do it with with fewer scenes. You know, it's not like you have to give everybody the equal amount of screen time. You can still do it if the writing's there. Yeah. You really can. And the performances. And the performances, for sure. Uh, but that movie had the they had the talent of the actors. Yes, uh, but they just didn't they just didn't flesh it out enough. But we're getting off track because we're not talking about that. We're talking about Diabolique, and it is number three on our list of marital problems in horror, and another one that we've talked about a couple of times. Features one of our favorite crazy perverse actors from 1979, Oliver Reed and the Brood. Never before have you faced anything so strange and sinister. So bizarre and unnerving. Until now. You can run. You can hide and hope they won't find you. But you won't escape. Once unleashed, the brood will destroy anyone who gets in their way. David Cronenberg's ultimate experience in inner terror. Starring Oliver Reed and Samantha Agar. The Brood. They're waiting for you. Now this one, of course, David Cronenberg, who we've talked about at length. And we've said before, he wrote this film following his very tumultuous divorce and child custody battle that uh, he had with Margaret Hinson. And uh, Cronenberg has said that Samantha Eggers' character in this movie possessed some of the characters of his, of his ex-wife. Ouch! So <laughs> this one you know from the get-go. It's, it's, it's based, it, it came from severe marital problems and it shows yeah it, it's it is a nightmare and you know we yeah cronenberg you know you can't go wrong there and and one, one of the things that you know if if he's at the helm is that it's this isn't going to be atmospheric uh display of of a marriage in crisis this no. is going to be a bloody mess of a movie <laughs> and 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 he's such He's just the master of corporeal horror and and maybe nowhere as well, okay, scanners. But other than that, is this made more manifest than than in the brood? Uh, because so Samantha Eggers character, she's not taking good care of her daughter with her ex-husband because she's under the uh, watchful eye of Dr. Hal Oliver Reed, whose psychoplasmics um, are are helping her to deal with her rage by channeling them into some physical manifestation. And in her case, there are these embryo sacs on the outside of her body mm -hmm. that turn into these hooded little monsters that kind of look like faceless versions of the daughter that she is neglecting. Yeah, and you know, as you said, with Cronenberg, somehow it's going to manifest itself in body horror. Mm -hmm. and, and it certainly does here because, yeah, it's like, what are those things? And, and, and what the heck? And, and when she licks... The one, which I guess was her uh, Samantha Eggers' idea, nice, which is you know, good instincts. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna one up you, David Cronenberg. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's just, it's just all freaky, and you can see how he takes the, the despair, the rage, all the emotions that he was obviously feeling during this divorce, and just internalizes them, and then lets them out in this freakish way. 
Yeah. Freaky is, of course, always a good a good word for anything Cronenberg, but particularly this film. And also, it's just it's very disturbing. It's uncomfortable, as many of his films are. But but most of his films, you know, it's the sort of childbirth. And it's there's something so primal and uncomfortable about what happens during the, quote, childbirth. And Uh I mean, if there's the weakness in the film is Art Hinda, who plays Frank, who plays the ex-husband. He's and to be honest, Cronenberg films, especially, you know, the earlier films are not really known for strong acting. That wasn't really his strength as a director was Mm -hmm. to bring out really strong performances. But Oliver Reed makes up for that in just sheer weirdness, just (laughs) sheer unseemly weirdness. Yeah, he just. The look on his face is always, he's about to do something wrong. Yeah. Just wrong. Because he was probably half in the bag when, oh, he's, filming, <laughs> when he's filming these scenes. And I know I mentioned this the last time we talked about it, but during shooting of this movie, he was arrested by the Canadian police uh, after he made a bet with someone that he could walk from one bar to another without wearing any clothes <laughs> in the freezing cold winter. So that's some, yeah, I'll do that. Heck yeah. <laughs> so, I'd like to know how many movie productions that he was on where he wasn't arrested. <laughs> That's probably that's probably the shorter list, but uh, but it works. It works uh, for this movie. It works in so many movies. Even one of his last movies, Gladiator. He always just looked weird. Yeah. Every time he had a scene, but uh, it certainly works here. And it is the Brood, marital problems, big time uh, from 1979, and that is number two, which means really there can only be one at the top. And yeah, we were lucky enough to see this one on the big screen just a few weeks ago uh, and experience its craziness. Even more so, and that is from 1981, Possession. Two men, and a woman no man could ever possess. Mortal terror. Inhuman ecstasy. So the marriage here, the crumbling marriage, is Sam Neill and Isabel Ajani, who won uh, Best Actress at Cannes that year yes. for this movie. And um, it's, boy, is it weird. It is, it is so weird. But the, the crazy thing is, and I, you know, I don't want to get on anybody, you know, a movie, really any type of work of art can give different people different, you get different interpretations. Mm-hmm. And I've read some seriously whacked out interpretations of this movie because it's a serious, seriously because it's a seriously whacked out movie, but I just think it's so clear that it's about divorce and it's about people having different expectations of their partner and not having those, those expectations met. And then how that troubles any children in the marriage. I mean, I, I think it's pretty clear. Oh, I agree with you. Absolutely. And I think things like the, the doppelganger, you know, is the idea that I thought you were the one I wanted but I want something like you that isn't the actual you, which I think, you know, I, you know, I think that is probably something that plagues a lot of relationships from the very get go is the idea that, you know, you're not I'm not really being in love with the person you're with, but being in love with the idea of the person that you're with. And I think that in, in both cases that the doppelganger idea really embodies that. And in particular, in the Sam, the, uh, the Isabella Johnny case. Oh, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Because. 
Because all of a sudden, after his wife just goes it, off the deep end. Well, and she admits to him. She says she's having an affair. Right. And then, oh, he meets someone who looks exactly like her, but is totally different. Right. Is nurturing and caring and actually looks after Bob. Poor Bob. He's really not being well cared for. Who's just, taking care of Bob? And just comes over to the house and cooks and cleans Absolutely. and all that stuff. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's clear. That's a manifestation of what he wanted her to be, but she wasn't. Yeah. And then, of course, toward the end, his doppelganger right. turns up on her arm. Right. Oh, yeah, exactly. And and it's funny. So the film, as the film progresses, what she goes about to do to create the man of her dreams is so bizarre. Very bizarre. It, you know, and if you haven't seen the film, I, I apologize for spoilers, but it does involve sex with a mollusk monster. <laughs> um, But Heinrich was obviously not the right guy for her. I just have to bring him up. I love Heinrich so much. He's great. He's so great. Even He's my when, favorite part of this movie. Even, Heinz Bennett plays Heinrich. Even when he and Sam Neill are going to get in a fight. He's just traipsing around like oh, he's yeah. dancing. It's he's, hilarious. Yes, he's yes, he is very sexually open and, and available, and he's just <laughs> super fun. He is a great character, you know. And it's and it's interesting, uh, you know. I've read before from several several people have said that this is maybe the best depiction of a crumbling marriage in cinema. And I, you know, I'm I tend to lean toward that because it's a horror film, and so I'm gonna like it better than so you know your Kramer versus Kramer and whatnot. But it's like the brood only um only not but i mean what they have in common is that they take the sort of mundane horror the everyday happens so often you know horror of of this and they they reimagine it to show that it really it really is for most people the worst thing that could possibly happen you know i think they bring that just ugliness to the screen in a way that is just visceral and amazing. Yeah, and I think if people can get past its sheer weirdness. Yeah. Well, sure, that can be hard to do. Right. Uh, because I agree with you. It's got to be one of those that's up there uh, for a depiction of a crumbling marriage. It just, I can see where it just puts people off that it's so weird. They just can't get around it. Yeah, because it's not as if there's, you know, it's not as if there's, a, you know, a straightforward narrative and then splashes of weird. Right. You know, or or a handful of, of ordinary characters and then you just have the unusual two or three at the heart of the marriage. Every single thing about this film is just a head scratcher. And I will say, if you're lucky enough, as uh, we were, to, to have a theater in your area, show it again on the big screen. Don't miss that chance. But that is number one possession on our marital problems in horror. And chime in. We love it. We love, uh, especially when we get those conversations rolling. On Twitter seems to be the uh, most fun way uh, back and forth. And that's at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also, uh, Mad Wolf Columbus on Facebook. Uh, You can always hit us up on Golden Spiral Media as well. The fine folks that host this podcast always appreciate that. Many ways to get a hold of us. We just love to keep the conversation going. And if you just can't get enough horror, uh, on Saturdays, I do a, a blog on ScreenRelish.com called The Saturday Screamer. And every single day in October, we do a horror movie a day countdown on MadWolf.com where we talk about, we do a little review of a movie that maybe you should just watch that day. Yeah, that's right. I don't know. So many people are doing this now. We're proud to say we've been doing it for years. Yes, that's right. But uh, it's always fun, however many people do it. Uh, so check out our Halloween countdown as well. And mark it down, October 12th, this coming Wednesday, it'll be our next Fright Club Live. We're back at the Gateway Film Center. Juan, 
of the Dead, and we're going to talk about our favorite zombie comedies and hopefully having some more of that Mad Wolf Pale Ale. So, so much Sounds going delish. on. So much going on. And next week it's going to be, is it going to be Animals Attack next week? Oh, I'm sorry. After after Fright Club Live. Well, I already know. Next week it's going to be uh, zombie comedies. After that, are we... Animals Attack. Yes. Animals Attack. We promise, Corey Metcalf, we are finally going to get that done. <laughs> and that should be fun. A lot to choose from there. All right. So that's it for Love Stinks. Until next week, I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And this is the Fright Club Podcast. Stay frightful, my friends. Stay guys. Ha, 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 ha.